Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up the week. And, uh, wow, lots going on. It's uh, report day. We have also, of course, the G20 meetings. A lot of focus on those. And we have so much going on with the weather and markets. Lots to talk about today. And here's how we're going to wrap up the week. We're going to talk with the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association about uh, some efforts underway in Congress that could help address the veterinary veterinarian shortage in this country. We'll find out about that. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone will join us today to talk about the markets and, of course, preview the numbers coming out today from USDA. And we're going to talk with the National Milk Producers Federation because uh, there's a a study out comparing organic milk with conventional milk, saying that, uh, you know, conventional milk has a lot of things in it that people would not want to be in there. And we're going to find out how the National Milk Producers Federation, the dairy industry, responds to that study. We'll get more information on that. So all that coming up on today's program. But first, let's check the news, and there's plenty of it. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications joins us. Phil, thanks for being with us. Ed, great to be here. Um, Well, where do we start? Well, the G20 meeting. So, So much focus on that and so much anticipation uh, wow, the stakes are high, aren't they? Uh, they are. Uh, you know, these uh, China negotiations with China got up on got off track, uh, where the Chinese backed off uh, on the commitments that the, uh, the White House says that they were close to making or had made. Uh, the president came back and threatened a three hundred billion dollars tariffs, uh, additional tariffs on three hundred billion dollars worth of. Uh, imports from China, uh, including uh, a number of our most used herbicides, uh, glyphosate among them. Um, And that's where we are now. Uh, That threat, uh, he's uh, poised, the president is poised to impose those tariffs in the next uh, next few days. We'll see what happens in uh, uh, Japan. So we'll see if they, something positive or constructive comes out of these talks with China. It looks a little more positive right now on Japan. It looks like they're set to keep talking. Uh, that, we apparently are getting very close to a deal on agriculture only with Japan. That's been the message, a consistent message over the last few days from Agriculture Secretary uh, Sonny Perdue, from the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, Chuck Grassley, and others that uh, there's a deal very close but won't be announced until after the Japanese elections in July. So I don't know, as soon as August, that's the message that we're getting, and that's been the signals that uh, we've seen um, as the president's been there in Osaka as well. You know, that's something agriculture is often longed for in a lot of these trade deals. If we could just do the ag portions of it, it would be seemingly be a lot easier than all when you have everything else involved. So maybe that will help uh, kind of speed this along. Yeah, that will, that, the concessions from Japan on, on, uh, on our, our agricultural exports were the most important part of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which uh, President Trump pulled out of uh, right after he uh, took office. And so you would get the biggest the biggest bang from TPP 
uh, with a, uh, a bilateral with Japan, assuming you had as much or more um, uh, than you got in the TPP. Meanwhile, on USMCA, it's been an interesting week. We have uh, we've had, we saw uh, a group of Democratic members of Congress kind of basically saying they didn't like a lot of the things in it and they're going to want changes in it. And then you have Nancy Pelosi coming out saying they want to get this deal passed. Is this are these mixed signals or or where do they stand on USMCA? They're definitely mixed signals. I think this is going to take a while. Anyone who thought that they would get this done in July, I think that that's that's pure, uh, clearly wishful thinking. A key person to watch is Earl Blumenauer. He's a Democrat from Oregon. He chairs the Trade Subcommittee on House Ways and Means, which has jurisdiction over uh, this and other trade agreements. He has said it's going to take a number of meetings with this small task force. Uh, it's an eight-member task force plus the chairman of the full committee. Uh, they're going to be meeting with uh, they, with uh, Trade Representative Lighthizer. They had their first meeting this week. He, Blumenauer, expects a number of additional meetings in coming weeks. Uh, this is going to go on into the fall, most likely. Uh, we'll see. It's just not clear exactly what's going to satisfy the Democrats. The, the purpose of this task force, though, is to have a small group that can work with them uh, to figure out a way to bring a, you know, a substantial number of Democrats uh, in the House along. Maybe a bit of a precedent. We'll see. But uh, Pelosi kind of broke with many members of her, her party to uh, get the immigration deal through. Uh, yeah, I, well, I think her hand was forced in that case by the moderates who, uh, in the House, who just rebelled. You know, if you had a big vote in the Senate, uh, her hand was uh, essentially forced because you had a big bipartisan vote in the Senate. You had the House, uh, the moderate Democrats in the House say, you know, we need we need to go with what the Senate passed. She really didn't have much choice at that point. And I think the politics are in favor of uh, the USMCA. Uh, as well, back to 2.0, whatever you want to call it, as well, because if you're going to make an issue of the president's trade policy, um, you know, do you do you uh, sink something that's very important to agriculture in the process? I don't know. Plus, uh, obviously, that would undermine uh, our uh, negotiating ability uh, with uh, in other cases as well. Meanwhile, kind of bring us up to date. What happened with spending bills this week? Well, uh, the House finally passed a bill that uh, it's a five-bill minibus, uh, we call them here at D.C., which includes the uh, agriculture spending bill for USDA and FDA uh, and the interior environment bill, which which funds the Interior Department uh, and uh, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, so the House has uh, done its pretty much done its work on uh, the uh, FY20 spending bills, with a big, big caveat. They there is no agreement yet between the House and the Republican-controlled Senate and the White House on how much to spend uh, overall in FY20. So these numbers in this House in these House bills are just targets at this point until you get an agreement on what's going to be spent and 
overall and within each one of these bills, and they're nowhere near that. Still a lot to so, do, so it's been an interesting oh, week, absolutely. and uh, yeah, we'll see what's ahead. Phil, thanks for bringing us up to date. Appreciate it. Yep, glad to be here as always. Take care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Meanwhile, there is a move to help uh, address the veterinarian shortage in this country. We're going to talk about that with the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. All right, let's talk trade issues with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, let's look at USMCA. It's passed in Mexico. Where do we stand here in the U.S.? Well, here in the U.S., still working through the procedures, you might say. We had uh, the head of the USTR, Ambassador Lighthizer, testified this week before the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, telling them the administration was ready to go, uh, wanted to work with them, make sure they could get the implementing bill in shape so they could send it up. You know, that hasn't been forwarded to the Congress yet. Uh, they want to work with the leadership to make sure it's, uh, it has everything in it that's necessary for passage. And they have to do that, really, before they can present it to the House and the Senate. So that process is ongoing. So you might say it's following its course. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we take a look at some of the items in the news, uh, our friend Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report reporting that more than 5,000 dairy operations have signed up for the new USDA Dairy Margin Coverage Program since enrollment started back on June 17th. So more than 5,000 participating. Bill Northey, USDA Undersecretary, said that about 40,000 dairy operations are eligible to participate, so we'll see how many more sign up, how high that number may get. Back on the trade front, of course, all eyes on the G20 meetings going on uh, this week in Japan. President Trump is um, going after India, it looks like, as he is demanding on Twitter that India lift new tariffs on American goods. He did that ahead of the meeting with um, India's prime minister. India has put duties on 28 American products, including many ag goods like almonds, in retaliation for the president's duties on the country's steel and aluminum exports. So that's part of the backdrop and the tensions, if you will, of the G20 meeting going on. Meanwhile, we mentioned this talking with Phil Brasher about USMCA um, on what's happening within the Democratic Party in the House. House Speaker Pelosi indicated yesterday that Democrats could demand that USMCA be reopened just to address concerns with enforcement provisions and not to renegotiate big parts of the trade pact. So we'll see how that plays out uh, in the House. Well, there has been some action in the House when it comes to funding and some action that could help address the veterinarian shortage in this country. Joining us now is Dr. John DeYoung. He is president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. John, thanks for joining us again. Uh, Tell us about uh, this latest step, hopefully in the right direction. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you again. Um, Yeah, we got great news. Uh, We just got an additional million dollars in funding for the veterinary medicine uh, Medicine Loan Repayment Enhancement Act, which um, is basically, they've, it's a step towards it, but they've given us additional funding, which means that we can send more veterinarians to underserved areas, primarily in rural America, to serve food animal producing animals and the farmers that take care of them, as well as public health needs. And so, you know, that that's just a huge step. It means that our, our elected officials in Washington are hearing us, realizing that there is a need for good veterinary care, and that if we do not step up to the plate, we put a lot of things potentially in jeopardy as well as the economy. But as far as food animal production, animals um, being well cared for and getting to market, that could be a problem. So, you know, for all the people, including local legislators in your neck of the woods that we talked about last time, they've been so helpful. We're getting there. The Enhancement Act will also remove 
the tax burden that veterinarians have that other healthcare professionals do not have. Um, and if we can get that pushed forward, that will be even a bigger step towards attracting more people that want to retire their student debt by basically taking advantage of this wonderful uh, program. How much support for this do you have in the Senate? Um, we've got some. We could always get some more. We haven't been able to get the Enhancement Act through in the past, which is to get rid of the tax burden, which other health care professionals don't have. But as far as getting the additional funding, I think we're, uh, we're on pretty solid ground. But I couldn't give you a definitive answer because nobody knows what's going to happen in Washington from one day to the next. That's true. Uh, if this does pass and if you get this uh, through, how much will it help address the, the situation with the shortage of veterinarians in this country? Well, it's about a 16% increase or something like that. It's, it's from uh, $8 million and $9 million is the figure that I believe I've got. Um, so <clears throat> just do the math. I mean, that's going it's, to it's, – we're far away from where we really need to be. I mean, the reality is that it's, it's tough for veterinarians to sustain making a living given the uh, continuously mounting student debt that they're graduating with and then also going to areas where economically it's hard to really make a, a good living. And so there's an urbanization going on. But everything we can do to continue to send veterinarians to uh, rural areas where they're so badly needed, but at the same time let them realize that they're, they're needed there, that there's a decent quality of life, that they can make a good living, um, it's a big step in the right direction at trying to, to balance out the, the problems that we face as far as seeing an attrition of, of veterinarians from rural communities how serious is the shortage of veterinarians in this country um it depends who you talk to and it's hard to say um i can tell you that i'm a companion animal practitioner in boston massachusetts we just hired somebody but it was very hard to find somebody um the actual workforce issues that we're facing and again it depends who you talk to are somewhat real um there are more and more people based on work-life balance that are working somewhat less hours, looking for a more comfortable lifestyle. And the reality is food animal, rural animal practice is hard work. And um, it's, it's a, seemingly increasingly difficult to find people that are willing to undertake that. Um, and so uh, there's no question that if you ever ask at least people in, in my line of work, can you find people? And the answer is it's very hard. And so um, people are working less hours. Um, and as a result, we, we've got to try and find solutions to those problems. We're talking with the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. John DeYoung. John, how closely are you watching this situation with African swine fever in Southeast Asia and the efforts in this country to keep it out? Um, we are watching it quite closely. Um, I was at a meeting at Kansas State University in May uh, where they celebrated a hundred years of Chinese people being educated in veterinary medicine in the United States. There was a, there's a current U.S.-China joint DVM program where four people, and it's only four, but it's still more than zero, come to the United States every year to receive DVM degrees and then go back to China to primarily get into the educational system as professors at the university teaching veterinary medicine. A hundred years ago, was the first person, and that led to veterinary medicine, as we know it in the Western world, um, getting over to um, to that part of the world and making a difference. And that that's just huge. So um, it, it's been monitored the African swine fever by us because of the issues that we face. So taking it a step further, um, 
<clears throat> Hold on one sec, please. Um, I'm sorry about that. We were watching, and when I was out there, I was told that roughly 22% of the uh, swine population in um, China had been decimated, and some provinces were up to 45 and 50%. When I spoke to the people offline um, at the meeting, they said the numbers are actually a little bit higher. The United States, thank God, we've got a very, very well-educated and disciplined veterinary workforce that is well-trained in looking out for African swine fever. Um, I came back from a meeting in Europe also in the last month. They're also being very diligent, keeping an eye on things. But I think we have got all of the tools in place to keep it at bay. So we're doing everything that's possible. The great unknown is, is that enough? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. You're absolutely correct, sir. So a disease like that, why do you think it's been so hard for them to get it under control? It seems to be spreading rather than being contained. I'm sorry, could you say again? Why do you think that's been so hard for them to get under control? It seems to be spreading rather than being contained. Um, I can't really answer that well because I'm not fully um, versed in what kind of uh, practice management they have in China. But my guess is it's because of the fact that there are fomites that can transfer from farm to farm, people that are not taking care of, um, of themselves with proper hygiene to, to try and limit it as much as they can. And so as a result, it has spread. I'm, I'm under the impression from what I've been informed that the, uh, the problem is now much more under control than it had been previously because they realize um, what profound effects it might have um, economically as well as um, every other possible um, area of concern. So I think things are under control somewhat now in China. I know that in Europe, several countries are, are being very, very careful to monitor what's going on. I believe that Czechoslovakia has done a very good job of completely eradicating um, any kind of African swine fever from, from hitting their um, population. Um, so <clears throat> it's something that we have to be vigilant about, be very, very careful to monitor what's going on, and uh, do everything we can to, to keep the uh, food supply safe and help economic conditions as well. Yeah, with no vaccine available, that means uh, prevention Correct. is uh, the number one uh, the goal here to keep it out, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do so. John, always good to talk San- with you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. It'll be sanitation and hygiene like everything else. And, uh, Mike, once again, wonderful to talk with you. Thanks for doing all you're doing. All right. Take care, sir. That is the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. John DeYoung. Stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. 
Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The grains trending in a mix ahead of new USDA report numbers on Friday. Traders waiting for two reports, the monthly grain stocks report, annual crop acreage report. Some traders skeptical about the accuracy of the acreage numbers as this year's tough planting season had yet to conclude. Traders, though, will be watching the numbers Private exporters reporting to USDA export sales of 544,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China, trending higher in early soybean trade on Friday. Meanwhile, the U.S. inventory of all hogs and pigs on June 1st, 2019 was 75.5 million head, according to USDA. That was up 4% from June 1st of last year, up 1% from March and it's the highest June 1st inventory of all hogs and pigs since estimates began back in 1964, according to USDA. Lean hog futures an hour into the day. August contract down 32, 76.85. Live cattle August up 20 at 105.55. Feeder cattle, the August contract up 55 at 136.35. For the grains, soybean futures trending two to four cents higher an hour into the day. July up three and three quarters, eight ninety one and a half. November at nine fifteen and a quarter, up two and three quarters. New crop December corn down three quarters of a cent at four fifty and a quarter. Minneapolis wheat September down four and a quarter, five fifty seven and a quarter. Chicago wheat July steady at five forty seven and a half. Kansas City July down a penny and three quarters. At 466 and a quarter. Outside markets, the Dow up 29, S&P up 5, August crude oil down 22 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Lots to talk about today with the Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, Arlen Suderman. Arlen, thank you for being with us. Uh, numbers coming out today from USDA. What are you going to believe and what are you, even, what are you going to be skeptical of? Well, I'm going to be pretty skeptical of the acreage report. Um, and this is a, a NAS survey, USDA NAS. NAS is commissioned with the responsibility of doing a survey and reporting those results. It's unlike WASDE, which comes out once a month, where they are given the freedom to use judgment. NAS is not given that same freedom. So they're surveyed farmers in early June, and we just simply believe that farmer intentions in early June were far different than what they are today, changed by the weather, of course. Uh, the big surprise, if there were to be a surprise in it, all this, would be if the acreage came in much lower from corn for corn than what is anticipated, uh, meaning that farmers were giving up much quicker than what we anticipated when they filled out those surveys. I know they were very disappointed and discouraged, but they still had the intentions of trying to get it done in many parts of the Midwest. Uh, the other surprise, I guess, would be if the numbers came in uh, much higher for soybeans, which frankly is a possibility, <clears throat> considering that many farmers may have said, well, I can't plant corn, so let me see if I can plant some soybeans. I don't think the trade is expecting that. But generally, this, this report is going to be a throwaway report soon after the algos traded for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. We are finally getting some more favorable weather. Uh, you know, here we are wrapping up June, and uh, some of that heat that's needed uh, to get the crop going, uh, we're starting to see come into the Midwest. We certainly are. Now, fortunately, it looks like it's going to be transitory in nature and not lock in because uh, we could quickly get ourselves into a flash drought situation. Right now, the rainfall looks to be uh, pretty good next week. The heat starts to move out early in the week, and then we see showers move across the Midwest. We're going to need, as tight as these soils are, shallow as root systems are, we're going to need a steady flow of showers across the Midwest just to continue to feed this crop. And so far, it looks like we're going to get it. Uh, if you look back at the last 70 years, whenever we've been in a, a neutral to weak El Nino year and we've had warm waters off the, between the Baja of California and Hawaii, every one of those years we have seen a wet July. So we anticipate the rains are going to be there. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. All eyes on the G20 meetings this week in Japan. We did have a sale, a soybean sale to China. What do you make of that? Yeah, it looks like trying to sweeten the pot ahead of tonight's meeting between President Xi Jinping and uh, President Trump. Uh, certainly, if you look at it, uh, I have to question whether those soybeans will actually get shipped if there is no deal. I think what the market's priced in right now is expectations that uh, we may get a tariff truce. Wall Street would really like that, but I don't think that really does anything for agriculture to get a tariff truce. Um, just kind of uh, delays maybe the inevitable. Uh, perhaps we just need to push forward and, and try to get some type of deal so we can get trade flowing once again. But uh, this certainly looked like something trying to sweeten the pot at a time when they're actually acting asking if they can delay shipments and other things they already had on the books. So we'll see what happens with China. Meanwhile, things sound more favorable of getting something done with Japan. 
Uh, they really do, and that's been one of the keys. And uh, as Greg Dowd, the lead negotiator on the ag side, that said earlier this spring, one of the keys is getting the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement passed so that uh, we can focus on Japan, because Japan is really the big prize right now. Uh, obviously, we'd like to have China. I don't want to take away from that. Uh, but Japan, I think, is a bigger one for agriculture than the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement because we were continuing to ship corn and soybeans to Mexico, uh, although pork was being held up with the tariffs. Uh, but Japan is big for both the meat sector and the grain sector, especially for corn and for wheat and, and for pork. And to some extent, uh, beef is a big one to try to remove some restrictions and move product. So that's very encouraging. Are the markets more focused on production right now or trade? Well, I think they're, they're we've kind of settled into a new norm on the trade side. We've been talking about the trade tensions for so long uh, that the market has just kind of become callous to that. It's still in the headlines, but it's become callous to it in its trade. So I think the focus is on production. The problem is we're really not going to know what the size of these crops are uh, for probably at least another couple of months. Uh, we're not going to have a final reading on acreage for quite some time. Uh, even if USDA does an, another survey in July, we probably won't know the results before August 12th. Um, then we won't know what the yields are until we start harvest. Uh, even with many of the uh, tours that will be going on in August this year, the crop's going to be so late maturing. We're not going to really know what that tells us. Uh, so I, I think is, this is a market that's going to struggle here over the next 60 days. Because we do know there's a big crop coming out of Brazil, and it's uh, cheaper than ours on the marketplace. It is, and that's what the bears are really focused on. And I think one of the keys to why we're not trading higher right now is, A, the funds really struggle to program into their algorithms a wet year because rain makes grain except when it doesn't, and it only didn't once, and that was in 1993. So how do you trade that, particularly in crop ratings, don't necessarily reflect those problems. Uh, the other thing is even skepticism within our own industry. I was really shocked yesterday as I started to uh, tweet on Twitter about some of the problems in the eastern Midwest and, and the shortage or the fears that we're not going to grow a crop in the eastern Midwest and how, as a result, farmers are really holding back their grain, the remaining old crop grain, uh, to sell in the new crop year. And uh, the basis is on fire with cash bids over $5 in some locations, and they still struggle to be able to acquire corn. And a number of grain traders from outside that region were really hitting me on that. And so we have a lot of skepticism even within the industry. We have people on the ground trading in that region. We know what the attitudes are. We know how tight things are and what the problems are. But I think overall this is a market just really – uh, having trouble really recognizing the scope of the problems that we have primarily in the eastern Midwest and, again, in the northwestern Midwest. Yeah, you got a lot of pushback on that, didn't you? Yeah, I, I really did, and that really surprised me. I wasn't surprised by the funds, but I was surprised by those in the grain industry who, who trade grain on a daily basis. Um, would have thought that maybe they uh, would have been a little bit more uh, up to date of what's going on, but uh, it, it's really a disaster in many of these areas where we haven't been able to plant, or and then what we were able to plant, we went into wet soils, and and uh, you can really see it in the crop. and And we've got some ag industry people already laying off employees, just afraid they're not going to uh, 
be able to have the bushel to be able to support the staff they've got. It's going to be a tough year for many companies in the ag industry. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of years, price is low, so you hopefully can make up for it with volume, have you know big yields. Uh, and we know some people aren't going to have any yields. But for those that are planning, uh, looking at reduced yields, they're counting on a higher price to make up this year for the for the lower production. Uh, what do you? So how do you see that playing out? Do you see this corn price kind of stalling for a while? Or you don't don't see an immediate spike, or how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I really do see a kind of a stalling and kind of a <clears throat> excuse me establishing a sideways trading range. We'll periodically have spurts of uh, supportive news that will uh, bring some money in, and then we'll uh, see some news that, oh, the crop is doing well. I, I do still expect the crop ratings to start trending higher here over the next few weeks as the kind of roots of those seedling crops get down and catch up to the nitrogen and start, quote-unquote, looking better for USDA's subjective ratings, uh, and that'll lose some, some fears a little bit. As you, as you talk to people across the Midwest, if you're in Iowa in one of the good spots, you think, yeah, we'll probably produce a 13 or 14 billion bushel crop in the United States. If you're from South Dakota or if you're from Indiana or Ohio or parts of Michigan, you're thinking, boy, we're going to struggle to produce a nine or 10,000 billion bushel crop. So it's just that human nature, whatever's outside of my back door, that must be what it is elsewhere and has very huge different uh, perception. Uh, meanwhile, the algos are just going to trade that trading range and give us some volatility. And, and finally, about the, what about the wheat market? Uh, wheat market has been uh, showing some strength this year. We have a good crop in the plains. Uh, yields have been impressive, albeit a low-protein crop. Uh, the hard red spring crop has good ratings, although kind of slipping from those highs a little bit, but still real good outside of South Dakota. Um, when we look at problems, though, we do have a few problem areas still in Canada. We've got a lot of dryness in Australia, about half the belt there. Uh, we've had some heat and dryness in Europe, particularly as grain fill time in Germany is a particular concern. And some heat and dryness kind of uh, taking the, the cream off the top of the crop in uh, the Black Sea region as well. So that's given a little bit of strength uh, for this market particularly with expectations we're going to feed quite a bit more wheat, not only in the U.S., but in the world this year, uh, to see a little bit more strength, particularly for soft red winter wheat, which should tighten up its balance sheet a little bit more this year. All right, Arlen, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, coming up next, we're going to get the dairy industry's reaction to a a survey that uh, was released recently comparing organic milk with non-organic milk and um, indicating that there were harmful things in the uh, non-organic milk. And we'll get the dairy industry's reaction to that, learn more about that study and, and the findings of it. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. 
And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Prevent plant acres have dominated conversation this year. So many questions around them. Some tough decisions have had to be made, and uh, there's still tough decisions and questions out there. Let's talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, it seems like uh, the further along this year we go, the more questions we have on, on some of these planting decisions and what can be done with some of these acres and how to take care of them and what are the options. Well, we really are into uncharted territory, Mike, as far as the magnitude of prevent planting. You know, at this time of year, uh, our crop production specialists are usually talking about, you know, how to manage the growing crop, uh, not what to do with prevent plant acres. As I understand it, you can uh, actually plant corn or soybeans as a cover crop, uh, so long as you don't harvest it for grain. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. 
Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. There was a study released recently comparing organic milk with conventional milk, and the study says and claims that uh, the non-organic milk tested positive for pesticides, illegal antibiotics, and growth hormones. I want to get reaction to that from the dairy industry. Joining us now is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, Clay Detlefson. Clay, thank you for joining us. Uh, what do you make of this study? Mike, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, at this point, we don't buy it. Uh, we don't believe that the results that have been provided are accurate. Um, they fly in the face of government test results that have been going on for years and years and years. Uh, and it's just very unusual that these results could be valid. So we're questioning the methodology and the proficiency of the folks that uh, perform the testing. What do we know about who uh, authored this study or, or funded it, or, or do we know anything about where it's coming from? Yes, the Organic Trade Association uh, has been very transparent in stating that they, in fact, did fund this study, uh, and the work was performed by Emory University. So how does the dairy industry then respond to something like this? Well, we've reached out to a, a number of scientists around the country and uh, gotten their perspectives on this. In addition, uh, we have had conversations with the Food and Drug Administration, and we will be going in to meet with the Food and Drug Administration next week. Uh, they are currently reviewing the study and uh, suspect they have a lot of questions for the study's authors. And, you know, we're all going to work to get to the bottom of this and figure out what 
went wrong with this study because we do not believe it is an accurate representation of what's going on in the dairy industry. Do we know how large a sampling size this was? Yes, they collected 35 half gallons of milk from around the country using volunteers, uh, which they were basically free to pick and choose where they picked up milk samples from. In addition to the conventional, the 35 conventional milk samples, they also picked up 34 half gallons of organic milk. And then who tested so it? Was it was not a very large sample size, to say the least. Right. And then who, de- who did the testing of it? Emory University performed the uh, laboratory work. So there so there would be a lot of questions about the size of the sampling, where the samples came from, and, and the actual analysis of it then. That is correct. You know, they have to be using validated methods. Uh, and the laboratory personnel have to be proficient at those, and we do not know the methodologies, um, so we'll, we'll be definitely looking into that. We also question why it took nearly four years for these results to be revealed. The testing is not that difficult to complete, so, you know, we're, we're questioning, you know, why, you know, a three-year wait beyond what we would normally expect you know, the results to be made available. So you'll be gathering information on this, and then you'll be responding to this at some point in the future then? Absolutely. You know, the public has a right to know the facts, and, you know, what we're seeing with this study is, is highly unusual, and quite honestly, it just doesn't make any sense. But as we've seen a lot of times when something like this comes out, uh, the initial report or the initial charge, if you will, uh, gets more attention than than the follow-up does. That's kind of how this works. So that will be a challenge you'll have to deal with. Absolutely. But we were fortunate in that uh, this was first reported by uh, USA Today, uh, and they put the story out there the same day the study was released. And then very quickly, um, they were contacted by uh, an academic who called into question uh, the test results. And the USDA, USA Today quickly added a paragraph uh, expressing skepticism about this study. So that helped enormously. Explain for us, Clay, the, the efforts that are, and the procedures that are used in, uh, in conventional milk uh, to make sure these things uh, that uh, this study says are in the milk, the, tell us about the steps that are taken to keep those things out. Well, for one thing, 100% of all milk tankers are tested for beta-lactam, basically penicillin-type drug residues. That's 100% every tanker. If the tanker is uh, determined to be positive for a beta-lactam test result, that tanker is dumped, and the farm that is responsible for that being uh, a a positive tanker is basically assessed the cost of it. And if things like that happen on a repeated basis, the farm will eventually be put out of business or the milk will no longer be picked up. And, And the study did report a positive for amoxicillin, which is a beta-lactam, 
uh, and we we question that. Um, you know, if we've got a hundred percent of the milk tankers that are tested for it, how could this have possibly gotten through the system? Uh, in addition, with all the commingling of milk that goes on, even if you somehow had a positive tanker that got into the system, which is pretty much implausible, with all the mixing that goes on, there should have never been a positive. So we just don't even believe that result. Well, we look forward to getting uh, the rest of this story. And uh, when those findings uh, come through and you get more information, Clay, we'll look forward to getting that information out to uh, to everyone. So thanks for being with us and uh, pointing out some things to question about this study. And we'll look forward to the final results. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. All right, Clay Detlefson, he is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation. And with that, we wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556.